I just bought one of those 16-inch MacBook Pros that Mark was talking about yesterday. They're not great, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, here was my mistake. I got the base model, 16 gigabytes of RAM. It's not enough. I'm sure you got what 64 for all your video stuff. Or yeah, we or we we upped it, but that's it was a, it's a Final Cut editing machine, and so right. I'm excited yeah. for what you can do on Final Cut with Apple's architecture. Like that's going to be insane. Yeah. So selfishly, I'm pretty excited. I like your point about the hybrid because at this point, I have an iPad next to Big Sur right here, and it's like okay, it's a touchscreen Mac. The iPad at this point, or the Mac is a point and click iPad. And at this point, the differentiation is, I mean, technically it's processing speed, even though my iPad feels like it blows yeah. the MacBook Pro out of the water. It's the touch interface and it's size. But at some point it's like, all right, is there going to be a 16 inch, 17 inch touchscreen Apple device? You know, I think so. I'd love a 15 inch iPad. Welcome to Geared Up brought to you by National Car Rental. I'm Andrew Edwards. I am John Rentinger. Geared Up is your weekly look at the world of consumer electronics and tech. And this week, John, we've got what may very special, well be. Special, the most special. The most special guest. In fact, this may be the guest that I've known personally longer than any other guest we've ever had. Since he was a mere child, literally, <laughs> Mr. Mark Gurman. That is hilarious. Andy. But true. So thank you for that. You know, you're not too shabby yourself. I mean, I remember <laughs> way back in the day. So two things. And I have this insane memory and it's really weird. And it bothers me. I can't really fall asleep because of it. But I remember Andrew had this scoop on at the time it was iPhone OS 1.1.3, I want to say. Yes. And it was an early version. I have no idea how you got it. Maybe you'll tell us now that it's been like 30 years. But it showed for the first time the app grid, so being able to put icons, whatever, around. Mm -hmm. It showed web clips for the first time. And then the third thing was their sort of fake GPS. And I remember Andrew lit the internet on fire with that. Everyone's just like, how in the world did he get that? That's super <laughs> cool. There's no way Apple's going to be doing that. And then it came out like two weeks later. Yes. And then I remember watching your unboxing video of the original Beats by Dre. Yes. And that kind of inspired me to get a pair. So nice. That's so, funny. Wait, Andrew, will you tell us now how you got that scoop? Yes. Yeah, I can tell you. So I can't reveal the name. No, of the person, obviously. Don't want names. But yeah, so this was obviously very early on. It was still called iPhone OS. I think the iPhone was must have been under a year old at this point because it was still 1.0. So yeah, 1.1.3. And someone within Apple said, hey, we have these new features coming. It was a friend of mine. We have these new features coming. Do you want a copy of the firmware? <laughs> I mean, they literally wow. just sent over the firmware and I just updated it in iTunes. And I don't even think back then Apple did like the check to make sure you were like installing a, a proper version. It was just, yeah. you know, very early days. And so I did the video and then everyone came out of the woodwork to show how I faked it including like this major, like highly paid Photoshop expert, because the first thing I did was re I released an article with screenshots. And then when this guy showed, he meticulously showed how I faked each screenshot and where <laughs> I Photoshopped everything. So then I said, you know what? I'm going to make a video because you can't fake a video. I did the video and everybody said, no, that's just a, you're just playing on your iPhone screen. You're just playing a video. That's not the real interface. You just hit play before you started the recording and this is just like, you know, graphics that you've created. And 
What's interesting is, again, Apple was so different back then. They were on basically Christmas holiday break. So including the lawyers and everything. And so this was right before Macworld, which was going to be early January. I released the video. I hear nothing from Apple until after they had already announced everything I showed in a video on stage. And they just said, hey, don't don't do that. Can you please, you know, not. So, yeah. And then fun fact on the Beast by Dre, I was actually the first person outside of the people who made them to actually see and wear them in person. Wow. That's cool. Yes. Yes. So little tidbits, you know, the, the industry is filled with all of us experts these days. But back in the day, I had my time. I had my time in the sun. Moment in the sun. Yes. Yeah, you're giving Ranger a run for his money. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about WWDC, the Worldwide Developers Conference that Apple just held uh, this past Monday. Before we jump into that, though, we talked about me. Let's talk about Mark Gurman for a second, because yes. you have one of the most interesting stories out of almost any journalist. Tell us who you are, how you got started, when you got started, and what you do today. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Thank you both so much for having me. Absolutely. I've been doing this like 10, 11 years at this point. I started off sort of just, you know, following Apple rumors very closely, the nine of fives, the Mac rumors of the world. And, you know, over time, I just became super enthralled and interested in it. And I would start trying to dig up, you know, information myself. And I would send some of that as tips to the different websites, whether that was nine to five Mac. How would you do that? Yeah. So, I mean, early on, I mean, I guess the first thing was I found a domain name, isolate.com that had to do with the iPad or it wasn't called the isolate in the end, but I guess it was indicative that they were working on a tablet. This was a few weeks before the, the iPad launch in January, 2010. And so that was really the first thing. And then I got in contact with nine to five Mac and I was there for six, seven years early on. It was just poking around online, finding things domain name stuff, job listings Mm -hmm. that were indicative of future products coming down the pipeline. And then other things such as, you know, diving into the developer betas and the different seeds to sort of examine some of the future hardware and software features that were tucked in there. You know, back in the day, Apple wasn't so secretive or clean with the amount of features and stuff it would have in actual public beta releases. So you're able oftentimes to find things. I remember one thing I found pretty early on was the first, you know, string references to FaceTime. Then there was basic references to Siri as well. So there was a lot of stuff in there that was really just hidden in plain sight. I remember some iPad 2 features And then, you know, after that, it was just about developing sources, people who provided, you know, information about the upcoming launches and the upcoming products and services and what have you, and writing about those. And, you know, obviously, people are are super interested in that. And, you know, I still do that to this day. I've been at Bloomberg now for three or four years and continuing that. Bloomberg TV, Bloomberg Podcasts, you know, Bloomberg Terminal, the Bloomberg website, Twitter, et cetera, you know, and really enjoying it still. Now... I need to give you some kudos here because back in the day, before anyone knew your age, there was no discernible difference between the quality of work that you put out versus pretty much anyone else. You, you were just None. one of, you know, you were just a journalist like anyone else. How old were you when you started doing this? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And thank you so much. That's super kind of you. I was 14, 15 when I oh first started. 
yeah, on the 9FI Mac side. And I'm lucky to have met a lot of great people who've helped me out over the years. And So you, know, you were I'm, pumping out content while also attending high school, basically. Yeah. And to be quite honest with you, it was not easy. There were a lot of really long nights. There were periods of time where it was just balancing so much. There was some times where it was like, you know what, I would have to take a week or two off from doing nine to five stuff if I had like a bunch of finals or projects coming up. And, you know, the people I worked with at nine to five, Seth, were all very, very flexible about the whole thing and understanding. And, you know, they knew I could take two weeks off and then I could pump out, you know, a month's worth of stuff in the one week that I'm back. (laughs) So it was always thrilling, always interesting. And, you know, the first initial years of doing this, it felt like there was just so much news, so much excitement all the time. So it was really fun. In college, I was still at 9to5 through college. That was very challenging as well. Obviously, the workload is very strong. It basically felt like a double college workload. During the day, you have all your classes and homework. And at night, you have the 9to5 stuff. I can't tell you how many stories I've broken while in a lecture in class to make it to count. But you know, it's always fun. And Apple News and rumors has always been my thing. And I enjoy sort of being that Apple News guy for, you know, a long time going, just like you guys are YouTube guys. You've had some giant scoops over the over the years. And, you know, recently, you have a you've had a giant VR AR scoop, which I want to talk about. But what do you consider your best scoop that you've had? Oof, that's a good question. There have been a few Last year, ahead of WWDC, I sort of had the whole list of features coming to iOS 13, Catalina, uh, what was it, tvOS, and uh, the iPadOS stuff as well. Last year, I just thought that was great because of how extensive and detailed it was. We had the story on the iPhone 10 gesture, you know, swipe interface a few weeks before the 10 launched in 2017. There have been stories. I mean, I like to say, or not say, I like to know that I basically have something good ahead of every major product launch or even minor product launch. I just enjoyed the breadth of it. At 9 to 5, we had some great stories about the 2015 12-inch MacBook. That one was interesting because we had reported that it would have one port. It would be the first like one-port Mac. It was just the USB-C yeah. port. Nobody believed that. We had a pretty detailed story on the iPhone 5, the 15-inch Retina MacBook Pro from 2012, things pretty much ahead of every launch. So too many to count. I have a question, and this is the kind of question I've always kind of wanted to ask, actually you in particular, for a while. So if we go all the way back to the iPhone 4 launch and kind of probably the biggest leak in the history of of Apple. Of all time. Of all time. Of tech. Of tech. I mean, probably along that. For sure. And there's been a lot of conflicting stories about what really happened and was it really left in a bar and what exchanged hands and what didn't exchange hands. What was, you know, so now with the lens of what now 10 years or so since that's, since that came out, how do you view that leak as sort of affecting your industry? And is there anything about that particular leak that you've been keeping under wraps or, or thoughts that you had? Oh, about the iPhone 4 leak, the Gizmodo thing? About that iPhone 4 leak, because there were so many conflicting stories about what happened. And I relatively reliably, the story that came out, I inclined to believe was probably not 100% accurate. Yeah, no, to be honest, I don't know much or pretty much anything about it that hasn't been out there. But I mean, I can tell you sort of my experience with it. I remember I was <laughs> I was in the car on the way home from basketball practice 
as you know, I'm a Laker fan, just like John. And I remember seeing a Gizmodo story and it was something like, is this the, the iPhone 4G or iPhone 4G is this it? And you saw they had a picture, sort of a grainy picture, but you yeah. could, it was pr- pretty clear of the side of the iPhone. And then when that picture first came out, everyone was just like, no, there's no way that's it. Because you had the antenna cuts in the antenna band, which obviously was later controversial for that reason. And everyone was like, no, there's no way Apple would release a phone with seams. Then, you know, a couple days later, maybe it was the next day, I don't remember, Gizmodo puts their story out and that was pretty earth shattering. And like you guys said, it was probably the biggest leak in history. But for me personally, it was sort of a learning experience. This was really before I ramped up my work, but it was a learning experience for me to understand in this line of work, what's kosher and and what's not, so to speak. I mean, you saw sort of the fallout for Gizmodo and some of the people that worked on it. You saw the fallout for the people that were so involved in it. And so I sort of look back at it and it's like, I feel that if I was ever offered a phone like that in that situation that came through stolen hands or however it was, I mean, I really wouldn't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. Right. So there's a lot of conflicting stories. Like John said, I remember Steve Jobs said on stage that the phone may have been stolen out of the engineer's pocket. The people involved in the situation were saying that it was basically left in the bar and they basically took it and they made what they considered to be good attempts to return the device to Apple. And then there was the situation where Apple was accusing Gizmodo of extortion by basically saying that Gizmodo saying, you know, we're not going to give you this phone back unless you write us a letter confirming it. I don't really have an opinion on how Gizmodo handled it or the people at the time handled it. They did what they needed to do as an organization. They had complained about Apple not treating them well or giving them proper access to the original iPad review unit. So there's a lot of mixed signals of what really happened. I have a feeling that if this were to happen again, both sides would have handled it a bit differently. But I still think that you could be certain that phone leak would have come out, but just handled a little bit better from both sides, right? You know, there was talk that Apple sent police or private security contractors to knock down the, the reporter's door. And I think in very, it's very likely that Tim Cook's Apple would not behave that way. I'm sure Gizmodo would have handled the whole letter situation differently or would have worked with Apple a little bit more on that. Yeah. So I'm sure there would have been slight changes. But for me, it was a learning lesson. And this was before I really ramped up with my work. Fair. I've always always wanted to ask you your thoughts on that. Fun little story. And then we'll get to all the new uh, iOS 14 stuff. But I actually had a shell for the iPhone 5C before anybody else had a shell for the iPhone 5C. Oh, wow. Like before anybody else had it. And uh, was in a similar position where I was like, well, what do I do with this? So I actually, I don't, think, I don't know if I've ever talked about this. I actually wrote a letter. <laughs> my, my former business partner has a relationship with Apple and a long-standing relationship with Tim Cook. That's how I got access to some of these keynotes and behind-the-scenes interviews with, with Tim Cook and Johnny Ive. So we reached out via him and sent Tim Cook a letter. I was like, listen, like, we have an opportunity to have this. It's not ours. It's clearly taken from somewhere. Would you like us to get it and return it to you without it passing through any other hands? And then we got a letter back from Tim Cook saying yes. And we sent it back to Tim Cook. And honestly, we kind of, I was kind of expecting like a little, uh, you know, thanks. Appreciate that. And we just never heard anything back. <laughs> like ever, ever again. <laughs> so, yeah, it just kind of, kind of begs, I guess, like Gizmodo certainly made a name for themselves. But they also, they, they paid the price for it. Did you do a video on the show, though? No. Never saw oh, it. I see. Ne- never did anything on it. I was a man of my word, sent it right back to Apple as as promised. 
And then about three weeks later, other people started getting these shells from other sources. But we sent ours mm. to Tim Cook directly without ever, nobody but me ever physically saw it. Very interesting. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what I would do in that situation. I'm not really sure how you obtained it, so I can't really comment on it. But obviously, lots of these situations have different predicaments. I can tell you that there has been, there was an iOS 14 leak sort of floating around the internet for several months ahead of WWDC. And, you know, if you were able to go into that, my understanding, iOS 14 build, you'd be able to, you know, suss out a lot of the information ahead of the the keynote. And I'm sure you've seen all those articles. So that's something that I didn't touch, for example. Now, why is that? Why did you decide that that was the right choice as a journalist? I don't really want to particularly get into it. I just know that I could get information about the upcoming software releases from human sources, and I'd rather do that to get the full context. Mm. Now, before we get into WWDC, since we're talking about leaks, John just mentioned a moment ago, you did have a recent leak. Big one. Recent report. A big Big one. Big daddy. Seemingly pretty large. Could you tell us the summary of the AR slash VR plans that Apple has coming up? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. So, thank you. I'm glad you guys read it. It was uh, it was fun to work on. I'm glad we were able to get that out before the the conference. Essentially, the news is Apple is working on two headsets. One, it's an AR slash VR headset, basically like a smaller Oculus Quest made entirely out of fabric with a stronger chip inside that also has some AR capabilities. That's for 2022. And then for 2023, it would be augmented reality glasses, which are AR only and just, you know, lightweight, whatever glasses. And, you know, the crux of the story is that for that first headset, Apple initially wanted to have that device wirelessly connect to a standalone hub that you would keep in your house that would do Mm. all the processing with a super strong, like, ARM processor that would rival those and some of the fastest upcoming ARM Macs do all the processing on there and then beam it over wireless. Johnny Ive, former Apple head designer, as we all know, sort of stepped in against the AR team and said, you know, Apple can't ship a product that requires a hub that stays in your home to get its full functionality. So he really pushed for it to be an entirely standalone device. And so that basically gives the inside picture of the different deliberations, the the development process that went into these products, which are, of course, Apple's next big products. How long did you work on the story for? Oh, that's a good question. It was initially something that I was working on earlier in the year. And the idea was to do sort of this broad profile of Apple's AR VR team. And after coronavirus hit, my day-to-day basically switched to covering the coronavirus impact on Apple. You saw everything that was going on internally, product delays, product changes, the retail store closures, all sorts of stuff. And so the time to really step back and do a sort of a broader profile on the AR VR project kind of disappeared pretty quickly. And as, you know, coronavirus started to calm down, at least for the Apple implications, a few weeks ago, that was first on my list to jump back onto. And so altogether, probably, I mean, the reporting has been done over several months, but, you know, a few days a week to, you know, sort of assemble it together and the editing process and all that. When do you think we'll see a productized version of something here? I think that they'll announce the AR VR headset, which is, it's not the glasses. It's like this enclosed Oculus-like headset at the end of 21. And 
they'll ship sometime in 22. And for the AR glasses itself, I would say it would be in 23 at the very earliest, which obviously is different timing from some of the reports that we've seen on YouTube and elsewhere about an announcement later this year and a release you know, next year for AR glasses. I think those reports are a few years off, to say the least. Interesting. Okay. That was a giant leak. And just knowing the work that goes into those, I was just curious how the, the amount of time. I think people just read an article and they forget it the next day, but don't appreciate the time and research and checking and cross-checking and verification that goes into putting your name on something like that. Oh, yeah. And I take it seriously because I know, like, you know, I put one thing out there that's not correct. People might, you know, I take that back. I think my track record is so long and strong that, you know, I get a couple of things wrong. It's not going to impact me as it might have done, like, early on. People would understand things change. They know what I print is true as when I print it. But obviously, you don't want to get things wrong. And so, you know, I spoke to, to several people about this and got it locked up. And when I tell you that I actually spoke to, to real sources and tell you that, you know, time went into putting this together, you can believe me. This was not yeah. some sort of fabrication like you've seen from, you know, others lately. <laughs> we'll, let that, we'll let that one stay there. Yes. And hey, kind of jumping off what John just said, you know, anytime Mark publishes Apple news, Apple rumors, reports, you read those reports or people analyzing his reports on basically every tech website on the internet. If Mark publishes an article on Bloomberg, everybody is going to be linking to it and summarizing it and giving their opinion on it. That kind of goes to show what his track record over the past decade actually means to the the tech world. Agreed. And Mark, I know I'm getting off topic, but with your in-depth knowledge of, of Apple, do they still surprise you with what they do and what they announce on stage? Yeah, no, that's a good question. But just first of all, thank you, guys. Those are very nice compliments. My comment about fabricating, just to be clear, I don't think people reporting news are making it up. I just think in some cases that we've seen on Twitter lately, people have been fed false info and ran with it. And that's a verification problem. That's not them making it up. It's other people making it up and pretending to be you know, Apple employees or whomever and, and fooling yeah. people. And that's something that I grapple with too, right? I mean, I have people sending me fake tips, made up tips all the time. And you need to have a really strong verification process and long existing relationships with people in order to verify those things properly. And that's something that comes with time and with age. And I'm sure other people will get the hang of it eventually. It's just, this was a 10 year process for me. In terms of the point about does Apple surprise me? Looking at this WWDC, I mean, nothing was really surprising. I mean, the Apple Silicon, the Mac ARM chips is something that we've known about for quite a while now. Yeah. The way that the keynote was put together and sort of as like a two hour Apple advertisement, the way they filmed it with green screens and everything. I thought it was extraordinarily well done, especially in the current coronavirus climate and the limits that come with that. And so I think that it was a very strong presentation in terms of the actual presentation and it was surprising to see. I wasn't surprised that they did something unique. I was surprised about how well it was done given the circumstances. We all know that Apple has a very strong attention to detail with these types of things and they're going to get it done right. It would have been very easy for them to do a very normal keynote and just have no one in the audience and live stream it, but they did it completely different. And I think we're going to see the same exact format in the fall too for the iPhone. Let's jump so, into good timing. Just nice. Of- you know, you set us up perfectly for the next transition. iPhone and iOS 14. <laughs> Hold on, John. iOS All 14 right. is after the break. 
We are starting. Uh, I'm, getting, I'm with, excited. I, we're all excited, but hey, are you not right, excited fine. about what we're starting with, which would be the fact that Apple, for the first time in a decade and a half, is switching the processors that they use inside their Macs to their own homemade, home-built Apple Silicon. Are you not excited about this? Now, are you asking me? Yes. So I know I'm extremely excited about this, actually. I think it's going to be a disaster, <laughs> a disaster of the next two years. But if you look at the transition from PowerPC to Intel, you know, what now, 15-ish years ago, it enabled new form factors or, or new designs or new takes on form factors. We got the MacBook Air, right? It was still the same laptop. It was, you know, clamshell, but it was smaller, unlike we've ever seen. And that, was in, that could not have happened with the PowerPC architecture. Yes. And I would imagine we'll see the envelope get pushed further for what we think of, of laptops or computers with the Apple Silicon, with the ARM infrastructure. So I'm, I am excited. I think it's going to be just a, a mess of a few years. I don't care how good the emulation is. It is going to be problematic. But once we get through that problematic, once we get through puberty, we're going to end up with a beautiful swan at the end of this. I agree with John, actually. I think it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be a little bit, I don't think it's going to be as rocky as John thinks, but I think it's going to be rocky. I think that, yes, like John said, it's going to enable new form factors. But personally, I have this 16-inch MacBook Pro from, what was it, October, November, just like seven, eight months yeah. ago. And this thing, just you open enough web tabs, it gets ground to a halt. This thing feels sluggish <laughs> all the time. And it's an Intel problem. And I feel like the tight integration, not to sound like an Apple advertisement, but the tight integration between the, the Apple chip and the software is going to make for a far better user experience. Apple, if you're listening to this, I, I, I know I could be in one of your ads based on that. But overall, I think it's going to be a great improvement. Intel has dropped the ball on countless occasions. Apple yeah. has been upset with Intel for a long time. And it's not just the Mac processors. Intel, you know what, the bed with the iPhone modems a few years ago when all those benchmarks yes. were coming out showing how much better Qualcomm performance was, right? And this year, they're going to be, this is like the year of the Apple Intel breakup, right? They're dumping Intel in the fall for modems too. Yeah. When you look at what the Apple Silicon is capable of, I mean, the A13 is a max clock rate of 2.66 gigahertz. It's a hexacore infrastructure. I mean, it is, it is insanely powerful. And I think once that gets unleashed on something that can take advantage of that full speed, it's going to be amazing. I mean, what the iPad Pro can do is amazing. You start factoring in, you know, more RAM, more opportunity and right. fanless design. It's very exciting. Not to mention, just my thought that Big Sur looks like it was clearly made for a touch interface. It does seem like we're headed towards perhaps you know the eventual merger or some sort of hybridization of Apple's Craig products. said no. Craig has said no many times. I believe he said OS. I, my, I could be mistaken, but OS 10 and mm. iPad OS or iOS would never merge. But also, I, like how you I mean, think. I'm just saying we've also seen a lot of things that companies have said no to and you know, <laughs> right. They're still, they're still trying to sell things today, right? I just bought one of those 16 inch MacBook Pros that Mark was talking about yesterday. They're not great, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, here was my mistake. I got the base model, 16 gigabytes of RAM. It's not enough. I'm sure you got what, 64 for all your video stuff? Or yeah, we, or we, we upped it, but that's, it was a, it's a Final Cut editing machine. And so right. I'm excited yeah. for what you can do on Final Cut with Apple's architecture. Like, that's going to be insane. Yeah. So, Selfishly, I'm pretty excited. I like your point about the hybrid because at this point, I have an iPad next to Big Sur right here, and it's like, okay, 
it's a touchscreen Mac, the iPad at this point, or the Mac is a point and click iPad. And at this point, the differentiation is, I mean, technically it's processing speed, even though my iPad feels like it blows yeah. the MacBook Pro out of the water. It's the touch interface and it's size. But at some point it's like, all right, is there going to be a 16 inch, 17 inch touchscreen Apple device? You know, I think so. I'd love a 15 inch iPad. I agree. So you guys can't see it, but I, I can see Mark. So Mark, blink if I'm onto something. But I have a theory, and this is not based on any sources. This is just the ramblings of a madman and on, on my own thoughts. But I think the clues of what Apple's doing have already, we can already see them right now. My thought. So hearkening back to the iPad or the MacBook Air example, we couldn't have that without the Intel infrastructure. If you look at the Magic Keyboard, and I think one thing that Apple really spent a lot of time with was that hinge. And that hinge enables a lot of amazing things, but it's still beholden to that display, the iPad and magnets and a connector. If you had a computer that was that thin, where all the internals were housed in a display similar to an iPad Pro in the form factor of that magic keyboard, of a new generation MacBook Pro, where maybe some of the internals are stored in that keyboard spot as well, with a touchscreen interface. I think you've got the makings of a very, of redesigning and rethinking what a laptop can be. And I think giving Microsoft a lot of credit for starting this, for rethinking what a, a tablet and a computer can be. I think this is the evolution of Apple and where they're going to go. And I don't care what anybody says, there are toggles in Big Sur that are not meant for a mouse. Like very clearly that is meant for a finger and not a mouse interface. So that's my thoughts. Mark didn't blink. So uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go. But that at least I think is the natural evolution of where Apple is, is going. And I think looking at the magic keyboard is a big indicator of where they're going to be headed. I agree with that. I think eventually there's going to have to be some sort of unification, right? I mean, it's like, you know, they've split up all the names of the different operating systems I think for marketing purposes to sort of demonstrate like the breadth of, of OSs that they have. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think they eventually have iOS for all their products. The Apple TV will run iOS. Everything will just run iOS and it'll just be one yeah. operating system. That's the cleanest way to do it. I understand why they haven't done that yet. Just from a marketing standpoint, like, oh my God, we have five or six operating systems, but eventually everything's just going to, going to be merged. The question is, do they still sell Macs down the road with classic, you know, non-touchscreen keyboard and mouse, right? I mean, I'd be shocked if the iMac went touchscreen, but I think this Magic Keyboard plus iPad-like form factor being a, like a next-generation MacBook Pro, I think that's something that would be quite stellar and, and sell very well, and it's really the, the next evolution. And I think that answers the question for a 15-inch iPad Pro of sort. The biggest iPad Pro I can buy, the better. I would take a 17-inch <laughs> iPad Pro. I mean, if you take a look at the, I and not to jump ahead to after the break, Andrew, but if you take a look ahead at the sort of the iPad OS 14 changes and the iPad Pro, they brought a lot of Mac interface elements to the iPad in terms of you know this new sidebar and the new top left toolbar mm -hmm. across many apps, the updated widget interface. So it's like they brought more of the Mac to the iPad and they brought more of the iPad to the Mac at the same point. And at yeah. some point, the two are just going to converge. It's bound to happen. And I think it's going to happen soon. And that's just speculation. So No, no, yeah. I, I agree. But listen, you can run now iPad apps on Mac OS with a mouse and keyboard. Like the apps and, are clearly not designed for mouse and keyboard. Yeah, and, and iPhone, iPhone like, apps. 
clearly not designed for non-touch interface. I think the writing's right. on the wall that they are going they are going touch. It's just to be seen how long it's going to take. Maybe this is something that they w- await the end of the arm transition for. But I, I agree with John. Something's got to give. Yeah, I think it's a payoff at the end of the transition. I think this is two years down the road when we see the new MacBook Pro or new MacBook name comes back, whatever they do it. I think it's a payoff. I really think that it's it's the the big reveal when this is all done. They're not doing this to put out a, a Mac Mini with an ARM chip. Right. I agree with you 100%. Even though that would be you know nice for some people, but I agree. Yeah. Let's move on to tvOS we were going to start with tvOS and you both were like what is wrong with you why are you starting that, that with tvOS true. of all things and I just wanted to defend myself for a second <laughs> I don't think there has ever been a tvOS announcement in history that made me even slightly excited usually it's under two minutes long and there's not much yeah. happening and this year I felt like Apple actually, put a lot of work into making the Apple TV a much bigger part of their overall ecosystem than they ever have before and added some unique features that you know you're not even going to get on other other devices of theirs so that's why I thought hey let's let's start with TVOS because it's I think it was the some of the more unique stuff that no one expected to see for example they're adding a much improved home app if you have an Apple TV and a HomePod, you'll get doorbell announcements, which the doorbell through HomeKit Secure Video will recognize who's at the door using the faces tagged in your Photos app and will then announce to you who's there. You've got picture-in-picture support, the adaptive lighting thing, which basically if you have smart lights in your house, the Apple TV will be the hub that basically controls the temperature of the light throughout the day to optimize it based on how much light is outside. You got the audio sharing for AirPods, new controller support, AirPlay in 4K. I don't know. I just thought this to me made me feel like, wow, I think I'm going to be getting more value out of my Apple TV than I've ever had before and that any previous keynote has ever led me to believe. Cool. I mean, I'm glad you're excited. Look at this guy. <laughs> Come on. That's funny. That's listen, funny. I would have been excited if they're like, listen, we're not even going to talk about TVOS, but here's a new remote. Here's a that's remote that want. doesn't cost $40 to replace, that's not made of glass, it doesn't have a finicky touchpad, and then we took info from Roku. Here's a good remote. I would have been, I would have been, like, this is our lead-in, our lead-in segment. They're going to fix that. They're going to fix the remote, but the executives there know it's terrible, the glass remote. This is something they've been talking about, but I agree with Andrew. It's sort of more of a lock-in device in the ecosystem now. It's much more embedded. I mean, I'd like someone to take a guess about how many people own both a HomePod and an Apple TV. I mean, it's like the HomePod hasn't sold well. I don't know. Probably not many people, but it's a decent upgrade. The home stuff, the demo they did about the video cameras popping up on there with the facial recognition. I thought it was cool. Yeah. I think their biggest problem is still content. I would love a subscription service where you pay. Let them upgrade the price of Apple TV Plus to 10 or 15 a month. And then give you like three or five rentals a month from the iTunes library. That makes it worth it. And they mm. would sell a ton of those subscriptions because people don't want the Apple TV plus content. They want movies and TV shows that they already like and know they like. Right. And yeah. that would be their huge competitive advantage over Netflix because Netflix's back library of content is absolutely horrible in my opinion. <laughs> 
you know, there's some good stuff on there, but like in terms of the breadth of movies, I just see myself going back to rentals or stuff already in my iTunes library. So I think they need to fix the content side. I'm sure there'll be an Apple TV upgrade with a faster processor to sort of take advantage more of uh, the Apple arcade stuff. Yeah. But we'll see. Let's move on to something else. Like John said, tvOS is kind of boring. No, no offense. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Fine. But let me just but, agree with you doorbells. real quick. No, no, no. Hey, come on. I want to know who's at the door. <laughs> One thing that you just said about Apple TV Plus, you know, I thought they were actually off to a good start until COVID happened. And they are a service that's been focused on original content. They've had to shut down every production that they've been working on. And it's hard not to think that there was going to be a lull in content that they can release over time. And they're going to have to address that somehow, either by extending the free period or by buying content elsewhere. Because what else are you going to do if you've only banked on being able to produce original content and now you've gone, you know, multiple months of not producing anything? That is a great point. And you actually just gave me some homework because I'm going to look into that now. That is a great point. It's a very sad point. It's a very sad situation. But the reality is, is that they're not going to just cancel their TV plus service because of anything going on in the world, no matter how horrible. So we should find out what's going on. There you go. See, you're welcome, world. (laughs) All right. Let's (laughs) before we go to break, let's talk about watchOS 7. New features here include shareable watch faces, multiple complications on the same watch face from the same app, sleep tracking, new workouts, and what may be the biggest feature in history of Apple Watch, hand washing support. John? So I have not, I am not running the newest watch OS on my watch. I've fooled me once running betas of them on on my watch. (laughs) I think it's cool what Apple's doing with sleep tracking without new hardware. But if you could Say like, listen, I, I can say with 99% certainty without any sources that clearly the next generation Apple Watch is going to take advantage of sleep tracking. I sure. mean, that, that's, like, that's very clearly like writing on the wall, right? Taking that to the next level. So I thought that was interesting. And as somebody who suffers with insomnia and sleep issues, something I'm excited about. But inherently, they're going to have to solve a couple of problems. I know I'm getting off track a little bit, but if they're going to give you a watch you have to wear at night, they either have to give it a bigger battery or faster charging or more and more battery efficiency right. or faster charging. So my assumption is one or both of those will also make their way to, what is it, Series 6 later on this year. So, you know, I wear an Apple Watch every day. I'm excited for an Apple Watch every day. I think much like the iPad, it's probably a transformatively perfect product for what it does. Now, certainly it can do more, but just seeing how far ahead it is over the competition, any new feature is a welcome addition. And especially if rumors of the health, you know, the, the panic attack and oxygen, blood oxygen monitoring... I'm super excited for the next uh, Apple Watch. I agree. I think, you know, we saw the iPhone XR and then this year's or last year's 11 and 11 Pro. When they eliminated the force touch layer, they were able to put in a bigger battery. And it seems like what it looks like is the next Apple Watch will not have that force touch layer either, which will give them the opportunity to include a bigger battery there as well, just by default of not having to take up that extra space. Yeah. in the display. So you want to step further than me, Andrew. So yes, I mean, I, I figured the next watch wouldn't have force touch based on, you know, the beta. You can't really even use force touch for anything. It's a long press and they've added some more buttons. Like you don't have the force touch for clear all anymore, which is actually pretty annoying. Right. Yeah. But yeah, you made the leap to that could mean a bigger battery, which would be better for, for sleep tracking. 
John's point, I think, is an astute one about how the watch was so far ahead that any improvement is a welcome improvement. To that end, I would say that this is one of the more minor watchOS updates since the product launched in 2015. This iteration of sleep tracking without dedicated sleep tracking hardware that John and I also, I'm sure Andrew believes is coming in the next watch, is extremely limited and mediocre, I would say. It basically only gives you hours slept and heart rate data during you know the sleeping period. It doesn't do anything with that data. It doesn't tell you how well you slept. It doesn't tell you if you're in REM or in deep or in light sleep or anything like that. It basically does nothing that your phone can't do on its own right now with its own sleep tracking mode. So I'm sure the hardware version is going to have much better sleep tracking capabilities. It would be great to have those features. I think some of the new workout stuff, the dance stuff is certainly going to be interesting to a lot of people. Certainly not me. I don't know about you guys, <laughs> but I know people that would really you know, dig that. The new watch face, and I say watch face because I believe there's only really one new watch face other than the updated large watch face with the richer complication. Super confusing. Doesn't look great, but maybe that's just because it's beta one. The hand washing, I think, is going to be really interesting for me thus far. I don't know about if either of you have tried it. It has not worked for me in beta one. Perhaps it's not enabled yet. But I do like the Apple Watch as a product, and I think this year the story on the watch is going to be around hardware rather than software, whereas last year that was a massive watchOS update, watchOS 6, whereas the hardware update was more muted. All right. Time for the break. And after the break, the big one, we'll be talking about iOS 14. Welcome back to Geared Up, brought to you by National Car Rental. I'm Andrew Edwards, and it is now time for the National Car Rental story of the week. As you know, Geared Up is sponsored by National Car Rental. And if you don't know, I also do a show with National Car Rental on YouTube called Technically Speaking, where I bring you the latest, my picks for the best tech for business travel. Whether you're business traveling or even whether you're going for leisure travel, there's a lot of tech out there that can make your travel more efficient or even more fun. You can check these episodes out at the nationalcar.com control center or go to youtube.com slash national car rent. The latest tech puts you in the driver's seat. National Car Rentals Emerald Club will keep you there. And big thank you once again to National Car Rental for sponsoring Geared Up. All right, let's talk about it. iOS 14, iPadOS 14, Apple has finally made the biggest change to the home screen of the iPhone probably since they added folders. What are you guys feeling about iOS 14? I'm sure you all have it installed. We've all been using it. Yes. What are your thoughts? Mark's got to start that one. Okay. I love it in terms of the widgets. I think the widgets themselves are extraordinarily well done. They're very well designed. I think that they show a lot of detailed information. I love the stacks. I think they're fantastic. I can't wait for third parties to make widgets in some sense. I do really appreciate that they finally did it. I felt like those, the widgets addition is really the only new thing in iOS 14 of any substance, but that is a big fundamental change to the home screen. Some improvements that I would like to see, I'd love if you were to be able to have a widget on your home screen and then sort of dynamically adjust the size like you can on Android. So right, right now, you have to choose in advance what of the three or four shapes and sizes of the widgets you want, but you can't go back later with the widget already on your home screen to sort of adjust the size, which I think is going to annoy some people as they use it. After being someone who's used sort of the iOS home screen for, what has it been, 13, 14 years now, my goodness, sort of jarring to see widgets everywhere and really deciding how you want your interface to look. 
right now yeah. I've changed my home screen already three or four times. So right now what I've settled on is I have a wide, so the middle size stack of widgets at the very top of my first home screen. So I have like weather, news, and then like the map thing to show your next destination. And then I have two of the four by four or the two by two app icons. I have the calendar on one side and then I have stocks and then I move the calendar and stocks apps from my home screen. And then I have obviously the dock and then two rows of four icons below those widgets. Then on the next screen, I have like all my other apps. I believe, let's see, I have uh, 16 apps and then I have two of the two by two widgets, the fitness one. And then I have a stack for music podcasts and NBA news and battery life. So yeah, I like them. The app library is interesting. I think the best part of the app library is that it's basically a tucked away place for you to hide all your apps that you don't want to be on your home screen or in folders. So I don't know if you've played with this, but now when you go to delete an app, you're given the option to remove it from the home screen and place it in the app library versus deleting it completely. Mm. So I think that is quite interesting as well. Some people I think are not going to want the app library. I think there's a lot of overlap between the widgets in notification, or it's not notifications anymore, but like the today view and the widgets you have in your home screen. So maybe they'll give an option to disable the widgets view just so you have the widgets on the home screen themselves. I like the compact UI situation when the phone call comes in or FaceTime comes in. I love picture in picture. And these are all, you know, really nice usability updates that I think are fantastic. But overall, we're not getting that major redesign that people have been looking for. And based on the major changes that came to macOS Big Sur this year, I think if we get any changes next year, it'll be some more like the frosted glass stuff we saw, but nothing wholesale like iOS 7 was in 2013. Yeah, I think if you look at the uh, icon changes in Big Sur, I'm, I'm thrilled we didn't get that change for uh, for iOS 14. <laughs> but I, I think it's, it's interesting. And I, I think Apple's implementation of the widgets is very good. Really reminiscent of, of live tiles from Windows Phone. You know, those you could resize on the fly. And I think Mark's point is very astute. But how they refresh information and once third parties start making them, it's nice. And it's for me, it's still the most jarring thing since what the iPhone 6 Plus when it went really big. Looking at this with widgets on the home, like it just it, it seems so out of place on there. I love it. It does seem odd that you still can't like, place an icon in the bottom left hand corner if you want to. You know, things like that that seem like very rudimentary. But huge change for Apple from what they've done in the past, and I think very welcome. And I'm actually surprised how stable beta one has been. And we've seen stable beta ones in the past, and like like beta two or three will totally break everything. But very impressed with the stability of it, which kind of, I think, lends credence to the rumor that a lot of this was supposed to come in iOS 13 (laughs) and perhaps was tabled for a while. But very impressive, and the future of iOS is good. And also low-key, with rumors of a 6.7-inch iPhone coming, if you put widgets at the top of your phone, pushing all those icons down, doesn't matter how big your phone is, you can still pretty much reach all the icons on your screen. So just a, That is true. There's a pro tip for the folks out there. I really like what Apple did, and I think it was, the way they presented in the keynote is being very self-aware of iOS shortcomings, I thought was refreshing. We know you don't like to scroll through screens. Like that was very interesting to hear Apple say. We've been scrolling through screens for years. Yep. And then them addressing it. We know you want widgets, and we know we haven't had that. The self-awareness of Apple the past, let's call it 24 months, from keyboards to iOS 14 has been very refreshing. And I think it's a, a very nice sign of, of what's to come from the company. I agree with John completely. I mean, I was, I was going to make that point as well, where it seems like Apple is basically just 
doing a lot of things that maybe they once considered too bold for them to do, like putting widgets. I'm sure there was discussion in Apple. Oh my God, do we want to do something so jarring? But, you know, in addition to that, they're answering a lot of the questions. The 16-inch MacBook Pro was a massive mea culpa. Having AirPods with noise cancellation was obviously something a lot of consumers wanted. These iOS 14 changes, the Magic Keyboard with the trackpad, you know, they're just doing all sorts of stuff that people have been asking for for years. But it seems like there was a decision made at the company, you know what, we're going to start trying a little bit more stuff. We're going to do more things. We're going to, you know, we're not, it's not like they're throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. They're just yeah. doing more of the things that people outside the company are asking for, whereas the culture inside for many years under Steve Jobs and I guess Tim Cook's first, you know, several years was we know what the consumer wants. They're being a little bit more trusting of their customer base these days. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fine line, I think, between the consumers demanding a faster horse, so to speak, and, and Apple inventing the car. And I think trying to find the combination of those two is a tough balancing act. And it really seems like Apple is actually doing a very nice job of, of doing that. I agree. A lot of the features that we're seeing this year, including, you know, it's, there's something for everybody. A lot of the hardcore techies don't care about Memoji and messages too much. But yet Apple knows if you talk to my 16 year old son, that's all he's doing is I messaging and messing with emojis all day. The maps for cyclists, seeing the translate app and being able to have a little bit more confidence when you maybe go to a place where you don't speak the language that you can still communicate and get around. And of course, the privacy and the car key stuff, there was so much there. We actually don't have time to get into every single thing today, but we will be talking more about iOS as we go from beta Yes. To release. Mark, I want to thank you for joining us this week on Geared Up. It was my thank pleasure. Thank you for making you guys the time. Are, of course, you guys are fantastic. So thank you for having me. And I think this was a great thank conversation. So. Awesome. We love having you. Thanks. We will have you back. I have a quick teaser, potential teaser. John's always the one doing the teasers. It's true. Next week, we'll talk a little more about WWDC and iOS 14, but I may have the perfect person to give us the full details of the saga of the iPhone 4 leak. Ooh. All so right. I sent some feelers out. We'll see if I can make it happen. But again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us on Geared Up. We will definitely have you back for more of your expertise. My pleasure. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, guys. And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at youtube.com slash gear live. And John is at youtube.com slash John for Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already. Just search Geared Up. That's two words, not one in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at GearLive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.